Let's pray. Father, you have said in your word, I'll repeat it again, where two or three gather in your name, you will be there in the midst of them. And this is unusual. It's, um, uh, it's just something we have to roll with. Uh, and like Josh said a few minutes ago, it's just interesting how we can make plans, but you order the steps. You bring about your will as you see fit. And I certainly pray these few moments together will be special. Thank you for sending these folks here today. I appreciate that. I just appreciate the opportunity to stand before them. We pray for those who are camping. We pray for those who are still dealing with uh, the COVID and that we will all be back in the saddle soon. Uh, We just thank you so much for loving us. Be with us in all we do these few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> you, you may see a title on the, uh, uh, the uh, right there. Here we go again. I don't, know, have a, I don't have a clue what that means. I'm sorry. Uh, Wednesday afternoon, I put together some things real quickly, and I thought I would go from those, but it didn't work out that way. The only verse up there that will make a difference today is 36, so... If you'll go there to Acts chapter 13, verse 36, this verse is really something. Um, I'll set the stage first of all. Last week we dealt with Paul in prison toward the end of his ministry. Now we're going to back up and see him from the beginning of his, toward the beginning of his ministry. The book of Acts uh, sets aside the set aside of Israel and the kingdom message throughout the Old Testament, but it always is pointing to Christ. And, of course, now we see the, the uh, establishing of the church and the gospel, the grace of God through Christ, that which we happen to live in this current time. And I would prefer now rather than with the Jews in the Old Testament times when things just seem to always go awry. We see them go awry plenty now, but anyway... Uh, so we, in early part of Acts, we see Paul's conversion, his training in the desert. He begins his ministries, and this is going to be his first missionary journey with Barnabas. They spent a good bit of time in Antioch, which was on the northeastern coast there where in the Mediterranean. But now they're going to go to another Antioch up in modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. It was called Antioch of Pisidia. So that's where we're going right now. What did they do when they would go into a new town? They were Jews. They'd go to the synagogue. Made sense. They at least had some rapport with these people. Otherwise, they may not have ever known anyone in any of these towns. They probably knew some people that maybe traveled Jerusalem. Paul may have known some people. But anyway, they go to the synagogue and begin to share Jewish history. Oh, okay. This guy knows his stuff. They all of a sudden said, okay, we'd like to listen to you. He starts sharing about Jewish history works his way into the gospel, and it's such a beautiful thing. But he always, they would always mention David because David was a hero of the Jews. He is well known to us today. He wrote so many of the Psalms. Uh, he's in a lot of the Samuel and the, those books back in the Old Testament. So it's, it's pretty special to know about David. Uh, so what this verse 36 in chapter 13 of Acts says he gets to this place. He's trying to convince them 
that Christ did not die and stay in the grave. He rose again. He didn't see corruption. Jesus is the Messiah that was spoken of in the Old Testament. He said, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. The second part is not interesting to me today. It's the first part. Look at that. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation. I don't know when I wrote this, but a while back, I wrote, Will I? With a question mark. And then another time I wrote at the top, Will I be like David? Will God say of us when we're with him, You serve your generation well according to my purposes. So that's where we are today. And uh, <laughs> I ask you to just bear with me because I've, I've gone in so many different directions and I feel the Lord pulling me this way and that way. And it's just been a little difficult to put it all together. But um, we know David wasn't perfect. Goodness sakes, he made some huge errors of judgment. But he was consistent, always consistent in his coming back seeking forgiveness and serving the Lord in his generation. So how do we do that? Uh, one simple verse. Think of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You don't have to go there. I'll just share it with you. What's a verse we memorize early on in life? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 30. Uh, uh, or is it 2 Corinthians? Oh, I'm... Anyway... <laughs> I'm already messing up. Whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Where, which, which is that? Anybody remember? I thought it was 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through. Am I seeing things? No, sorry, 31. For whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God, just as I try to please everyone and everything. I do, you don't take that out of context, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. So that was always David's purpose. It was Paul's purpose in writing to the Corinthian church. Uh, the salvation of unbelievers is always what we're looking for. So contrary to popular belief, the purpose of David in his generation is the same as ours today. It's not the pursuit of wealth, status, position, notoriety. We see a lot of that, don't we? We have the blessing and the curse of having media right in our hands at all times. Just like uh, a guy was saying this morning in Nate's class, the video we saw, he went and saw the great sequoias in, Charl in California. beautiful, beautiful trees. There was two people on the bench looking at their phones the whole time. So it's kind of ironic, isn't it? But we don't pursue those things, but uh, being all things to all people that we might see some come to know Christ. You know, I started looking through through places, to uh, through commentaries to help me with this, and you will not believe what I came upon. It was the archives of Charles Spurgeon's sermons, but this wasn't a sermon. It was put in the archives, but it was the verse, Acts 13, 36. But this is how it read in, I'm not even sure, does anyone have a King James in here? I don't guess so. 
Uh, do you? Okay, let's see if this reads like that does. Uh, these last three words, I, I have one at home, and I meant to look it up, but I just got discombobulated. Is that a word? Acts 13.36, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep. That's the way it was worded in those days. Fell on sleep was just like falling to sleep. It meant they died, but they didn't die. They didn't, you know, someday they would rise again. So it's pretty neat. But this is a funeral message that Charles Spurgeon did for, and I'm not going to do the whole thing, did for one of his deacons, great friend, uh, William Olney, a very important friend of his, as his wife read it after he had written it, she said, this has to be your funeral message too whenever you pass away. This has got to be it. Listen to what she said. And this was done in 1890 on October 19th is when it was, so about 130 years ago. This sermon was preached on the Lord's Day evening after uh, Mr. William Olney fell on sleep. Long before he... The, the beloved preacher, meaning Spurgeon, was called home. It was selected for publication this week. Mrs. Spurgeon feels that her dear husband could not have delivered a more suitable discourse for his own funeral sermon. She has, therefore, given it this title in the hope that many would be blessed by the message which he, being dead, yet speaketh, believing that many friends will wish to have this sermon for widespread circulation the pub- publishers will at once issue it in book form, price one penny. So the publishers were going to get their money, weren't they? But she wanted this printed and gotten out to people. And it was this verse. He used this verse uh, for this sermon. Uh, it says, while Paul is speaking in the synagogue at Antioch and Pisidia, he incidentally used the words of our text, David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God or served the purposes of God as we have it in English standard today, he fell on sleep. I want to look at a few few points here, and I'm going to basically kind of read them, but they are so interesting. I just ran into Nancy yesterday or yesterday morning when I found it, and I said, look here, I've been working on this thing running into roadblocks, I said, this is what I really wanted to say, these types of things. It's really cool. So Spurgeon said, what does it look like to serve your generation? This is a question that ought to interest us all very deeply. We live in the midst of our own generation, and seeing that we are part of it, we should serve it. That that generation in which our children shall live may be better than our own. That's always been our desires. You'll hear people all the time, I want my kids to have it better than I have it. So they have nice cars, phones, and cool clothes. That's not what we really want, but it's what we all did and are doing to a certain extent. My kids uh, had it a lot better in some ways than, than I had it. But some ways I'm not sure as, as good either. But those aren't the things, but we want to pass on to them godly things. So this this is what some of the things that he meant. First of all, it's not to be a slave to your generation, not to be a slave to it. Now, remember, this was written 130 years ago. It is not to drop into habits, customs, and ideas of the generation in which we live. People talk nowadays about, about the zeitgeist, zeitgeist, 
I looked up the pronunciation. Pronunciation. German word, Zeitgeist. Uh, a German expression which need frighten nobody. It meant the culture of the day, what was going on that day, the values of that day. That was what was important. The new things, all those things coming, the Germans were buying into that, and they developed this word for that. Isn't it interesting? 25 years after this was shared at that funeral, Germany was in World War One with the rest of us. Now, it doesn't mean doesn't mean this is a reason but I think you understand when he goes on here it's kind of kind of interesting uh, newspapers around her said quote Spurgeon does not know whether such a thing whether there is such a thing unquote well whether he knows anything about zeitgeist or not this is him speaking again he is not to serve this generation by yielding to any of its notions or ideas which are contrary to the word of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not for one generation. It's for all generations. It is the faith which needed to be only, quote, once for all delivered to the saints. We know, and it's a simple thing, but it's an important thing. We do not change. We do not have the right or the opportunity to change, alter the gospel. It's being altered left and right in this world today by believers and unbelievers or by churches. I, I don't know how to really name them, but it's being altered, watered down, added to, whatever it takes. And Satan loves that. He enjoys that. We can't alter the gospel at all. And some people were kind of making fun of Spurgeon for saying that kind of thing. It cannot be changed because it it has been given of God and therefore perfect. To change it would be to make it imperfect. It cannot change because it has been given to answer for every same, the, the, forever the same purpose, namely to save sinners from going down to the pit and to fit them for going to heaven. That means serving this generation best who is not caught by every new current of opinion that stands firmly by the truth of God. We know, we know there are many other churches and different places that today will share a different gospel than, than we share here. Many will not, but many will. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, but to serve our generation in the sense of being a slave to it, a vassal, a varlet, in those days that was like a, uh, hired person. <laughs> Let, I had to look up some words. <laughs> Let those who care to do so go into such bondage and slavery if they will. Do you know what such a course involves? If any young man here shall begin to preach the doctrine and the thought of the age within the next 10 years, perhaps within the next 10 months, he will have to eat his own words and begin his work all over again. When he's got into a new new style and is beginning to serve the present world, he will, within a short time, have a contra, have to contradict himself again. Isn't it phenomenal? 130 years ago, that's what's happening today. You young guys are learning the gospel. You stick with the gospel. You don't alter it. You don't change it because if you do begin that kind of stuff, in a few years, you got to eat those words and change something else. Always changing. Always moving. He said, you just don't do that. Uh, Okay, I'll go on to this next one. I'm afraid I might run out of time. Um, in the next place, in seeking to answer the question, what is to serve our own generation? 
I would like to say it's not to fly from it, not to leave it. If any man says, this world is, listen, does this sound today? I've said this. I've said this more times than I'd like to share with you. More times than I'd like to admit. This world is, you know what Nancy calls it? Whining. Dave, you're whining again. I hate when she brings that up because I know she's she's right. This world is so bad that I will avoid coming into contact with it altogether. Even the teaching of Christianity has become so diluted and so thoroughly on the downgrade that I will have nothing to do with it. He is certainly not serving his own generation. If he shall shut himself up like a hermit in the cave and leave the world to go to ruin as it may, he will not be like David, for he served his own generation before he fell asleep. She that goes into a nunnery and he that enters a monastery are like soldiers who run away and hide among the baggage. You must not do anything of the sort. Come forward and fight evil and triumph over it, whether it be evil of doctrine, evil of practice, or evil of any kind. Behold, be bold for Christ. Bear the witness and be not ashamed. If you do not take your stand in this way, it can never truly be said of you that you served your generation. Instead of that, the truth will be that you allowed your generation to make a coward of you or to muzzle you like a dog, send you out into the streets, neither to bark or bite, nor to do anything by which you might prove that there is a soul within you. Well, Spurgeon was tough there. We can't just go somewhere and hide, can we? You know, I was at WVU before I graduated. I was not a believer. And several of us would get together and we'd talk about uh, going up to Alaska and homesteading. We'd all make our own little community. We're all big buds, big, you know, bunch of good friends and so forth. We'd talk about this. Well, okay, how do we get power and how do we do with water? And just, it was interesting to talk about all this stuff. One time a girl spoke up and said, Will you guys just shut up about this stupid stuff? You're not going to do this. And we kind of looked at each other. <laughs> we didn't say anything ever again. I think we knew in our hearts we weren't going to do it. But in a way, we were thinking about this world as we knew it, even in 74. We didn't want any part of it, really. We're going to go off somewhere and hide. We can't do that, folks. We cannot do that. If we ask again, what is it to serve our generation? Here's another thing. It is to perform the common duties of life, as David did. David was the son of a farmer, a sheep owner. He took, first of all, to keeping the sheep. Many young men do not like to do common work of their own father's business. You do not want to drudge, you say. You want to be a king. Well, there are not many openings for that line of business, and I shall not recommend anyone to be eager to enter them if there were. Spurgeon had a little bit of sense of humor, too. Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. Before David swayed the scepter, he grasped the shepherd's crook. He did the simple things. Um, he that he that is he that at home cannot or will not undertake ordinary duties will not be likely to serve his age. You'll like this one: the girl who dreams about foreign mission field, but cannot darn darn her brother's stockings. In those days, uh, socks were stockings. She will not be of any service either at home or abroad. 
Do the commonplace things, the ordinary things that come in your way, and you will begin to serve your generation as David served his. We did a great Christian hero in True Secret a few years ago. We've done it more than once. Gladys Alward. Anybody read about Gladys Alward? Anybody know anything? My goodness. You want to know someone special. She was, a, she was called Mouse. She was just a little lady. Wasn't very bright. She had a hard time with school, tried to get into Christian training. They said, no, you can't. You just, you're just not with it enough and so forth. So, but she wanted to be a missionary in China so badly. She worked at different jobs and finally paid her way to go and went down and took a little bit of money and got herself a few new clothes. She went, rummaged through this thing, a bunch of shoes in it and so forth, found two shoes that would fit okay. They were different shoes, though. Both of them were for the left foot. But that's all that she could find that would fit. So she went across on the boat, got on a train, went as far as it would, could. The Russians and the Manchurian, everybody was having war out there. They said, ma'am, you've got to get off here. The train is not going any further. She followed the tracks, stayed in a tunnel that night. She could hear wolves in the distance, took her little sterno out, made tea. Finally worked her way to China and became one of the greatest missionaries of those days. Now, uh, this movie that's made, uh, what was that one? Do you remember the Andy? The, time? the happiness, uh, the sixth happiness or something like that? I should have known that. Anyway, what a story. She didn't let any of these things stop her. She knew how to do the common things. But serving our generation means more than this. It's ready for all occasions as it comes. Uh, David didn't seek anything he just steadily took care of the flocks until his dad said son take your brother some food take some special food to the captain so he got to go see what was going on got there right in time when all of uh, craziness was going on goliath walking back and forth and he inquires what's going on what's what's happening here at length the, the set time came for david on a certain day his father told him to go. Now, it was David's time, and the young man was ready for it. He lost no opportunity that, that might have kept him as a shepherd if he hadn't have gone and done this. He might have been a shepherd for the rest of his life. But he tells Saul, hey, I killed a lion, and I killed a bear. I'll, I think I can take care of this guy. And he said, no, none of our soldiers could do that. No, no problem. He, he disdained Saul's armor. You know the story. He took the sling, five smooth stones and killed him, cut his head off and brought his head back, his whole neck gory head probably, and said, here you go, Saul. Here's the one you guys were so worried about. Do the small things, we can do the big things. Another thing is to maintain, we've got to be accurate in our spiritual belief. We can't, we've already gone through this some, we can't, we can't water things down. As much as I'd like to sometimes, I'll, I'll admit, sometimes I said, Lord, you're asking a little bit too much here. I can't quite do this. I'm not good at this. I don't feel like I can pull this off. I'm, 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 I'm just belly aching left and right, just like my kids used to. The reason, why is your room not straightened? I gave you time to do that. Well, just couldn't get it done in time. I was just, you know, same way. Uh, should know better. But I complain to the Lord sometimes. We've got to keep things straight and true. Uh, he talks about it. Uh, he said, it is to maintain true religion. David did. 
he had grave faults in his later life, which he, which we will not accentuate here, but he never swerved from the allegiance to Jehovah and his true God. No word of action of his ever sanctioned anything like idolatry or turning away from the worship of Jehovah. He wrote the great Psalms, of course. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. And we may be sure that he was good at his word and that when he met with foreign potentates, he vindicated the living God before them. Had ten righteous men been found in Sodom, it would have been spared. He says this, And the world today only escapes the righteous judgment of God because of the presence in it of those who fear him and tremble at his word. So 130 years ago, Spurgeon thought the only way that Christ doesn't come to end all this mess, and he saw, he saw what it was for him, is that there are still believers loving him, serving him, working in this world. I guess we could say the same thing today because I have asked that question. Have you asked that question? I've said, God, why would you tolerate from all over this world people pointing their thumb, pointing their fingers at you and cursing you, basically, in their unbelief? And he usually just says, Dave, you haven't uh, shared the gospel with people you should, things like that. But you wonder how he does tolerate it. It's hard for us to. We get all ramped up when things are so bad and seem to be turning so much against our Lord and Savior. He doesn't see things that way. And we've got to, we've got to understand that. Uh, okay, the, I think this is the next to last one here. To serve our own generation is not a single action done at once and over forever. It is to continue to serve all our life. Notice well that David served his own generation all through his life. How many young men have I seen... And he's talking about those going into to the ministry. So this is at a few few guys here. How many me, young men have I seen who are going to do wonders? All oh, me. We're so proud of the intention as though they were had already done the deed. They took a front seat and they seemed to think that everybody ought to admire them because of what they were going to do. But they were so pleased with the project that they never carried it out. They thought that they might meet with some mishap if they really attempted to do the thing. And the project was so beautiful that they preserved it under a glass shade. And there it is now. Nothing has been accomplished. Nothing has been done. Though much had been thought of, this is folly. You know, I mentioned to you about Gladys Alward. They, they asked her years later, why? Why do you think God sent you uh, to do this? She said, because I think he asked a lot of men beforehand, and they just wouldn't go. Man, does that shame us guys, if that's the case. She didn't know any personally, but that's the only thing she could come up with. She would have been willing for that to happen, but since they wouldn't, she went. It's quite an amazing story there. So one cannot quite tell how it happens, but we never hear of them afterwards. It's suddenly gone. Men, as far as I know, as far as I know about men, they're wonderfully like horses. You get a good horse, you think, this is a first-rate animal. And so it is so. 
It goes well for a while, but on a sudden, it drops lame. You have to get another one. So it is with church members. I notice that every now and then, they get a singular lameness. To very many, we have to say, even as Paul said to the Galatians, quote, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? But David continually served God to the end of his life. May we all, by divine grace, thus serve our whole generation too. Last thing here is pretty pretty special to me. Uh, another thing included in faithfully serving our generation is it is prepare those who are to come after. Uh, you know, there's been times Nancy and I have um, wondered about the value of true seekers. We've been at it so many years. But it usually lasts just a short time because we begin to talk about past years or the current year coming, and we get all excited again. And we feel like, and I prayed to those kids down there before saying, Lord, we might be a small group of people, 20 people here meeting in a basement of a building alongside U.S. 19 in southern West Virginia. But we believe this is your work, and it's precious, and these kids are precious. And It's, it's neat to see kids now that are married and have their own children. Uh, and it seems like when we do ask them, what do you remember about truth seekers? It's not the great lessons. It's usually the great Christian heroes that they remember because we have done some fantastic ones. I've learned so much about my believing life. I hate to say, not here before Carl and before Don, which has been great, but I've learned a ton downstairs in the truth seeker room. So anyway, passing on the next generation. David served his generation to the very end by providing for the next generation. He was not permitted to build a temple, but he stored up great mass of gold and silver to enable his son Solomon to carry out the noble design and build the house for God. This is real service to begin to serve God in early youth. To keep on till old age shall come. And even then to say, I cannot expect to serve the Lord much longer, but I will prepare the way as far as I can for those who will come after me. Many years ago, Dr. Rippon, the minister of this church, which then worshipped at New Park Street, was wont to prophesy about his successor when he was very old after having been pastor for more than 60 years. It is in the memory of some still living that he was accustomed to pray for the minister who should come after him. The old man was looked had, the old man was looked forward to one who should come and carry on the work after he was obliged to leave it. So must you and I do. We must be looking ahead as far as we ever can, not to un, not to the unbelieving anxiety and unholy curiosity, but after the fashion which David prepared abundantly before his death if we cannot find a successor to enter upon our service when we have to leave it yet let us do all we can to make his work the easier when he comes to it i've got here let us be stepping stones not stumbling blocks you know often as elders we sit around and ponder the congregation and okay what men are ready to step up and we think of those and as they thought of me a long time ago, and and they'd asked me a couple of times, and I said, nope, nope, that's not for me. That's that's I'm not 
I just didn't feel called to that until when we went through one of the most difficult times in this church history. Uh, Pastor Flager needed a couple, uh, needed two elders quickly overnight because things couldn't go on here without a plurality of elders. It's written into our Constitution. And he called Paige and I, and I didn't even hesitate. In fact, he woke me up. I took the phone call in bed. And I said, Don, I would be honored to serve in that way. God spoke to me differently then than he had before. And I've, it's been a joy, not always easy, but a joy to serve in that way also. I, I was thinking back. I'm about done, guys. <laughs> uh, uh, about a poem, and I've read it before, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's poem, Who Am I, when he was first taken to prison. If you remember, he was a great theologian, a brilliant man in Germany, and he was one of few, a few hundred pastors out of thousands that would not adhere to the to Hitler's ways and so forth. And he fought it all along. He was even part of the the plans to assassinate him. A guy who was such a peaceful guy and just didn't want any part of war or anything suddenly realized if we need to save what's left, we've got to get rid of this guy. And he wasn't able to do that, although they tried. But while he was in prison, it was interesting, he was such a personable, personable guy and carried on the ministry, carried on serving Christ with everyone, that the jailers and even the warden got to be friends with him. And he said, I'd love to have paper and pen and ink to write. Hey, you got it. They brought that to him. Well, I'd love to be able to get books back and forth to my family. Hey, you got it. We'll, we'll do it. They just treated him like he was someone special. And it was such that they could send messages back and forth. Every second page of the book he would get, he would put a small, tiny dot under one letter. If he needed an E, he would find an E somewhere on that page and put a little dot under it, go two pages. He would spell out several sentences through the book. They would pass them back and forth. They never knew that he was. they were doing that together. He would find out what's going on in the outside world. He would tell them what's going on there and there. But he wrote a poem called Who Am I? And it compared how he felt about himself. He was miserable there, but made it look as though things were okay. The, the guys there thought, man, this guy's handling this so well that nothing seems to bother him. He just steps out of his, out of his cell every day like a squire leaving his home. That was part of the poem. It's so interesting. But then he got toward the, after a little bit of that, he said, I feel as though I'm a woebegone weakling. I want to hear birds sing. I want to see colors. I want to be with my family. He, all those things he was missing, they couldn't see that in him. And, he just didn't reveal that to them. So as he got toward the bottom, he said, well, who am I then? This guy or another? Am I one day that guy, one day who I know I am? And he realized, and this is a statement he made toward the end, or is something within me still like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? That's happened before. Guys get in battle. My uncle said one time they were toward the end of the end of the war in the Pacific. He'd been in the whole time, uh, serving all those years over there, Island Hop and you know going from island to island. And he said they sent in some National Guard guys that had only trade about six weeks to 
to give them a break, to give them a little bit of a break being on the front, front lines. And he said they were told to, to back off some. These guys went forward. And soon as the war got hot and heavy, here they came, flying by, just as hard as they could go. Some of them with no weapons. They'd thrown them down. They'd left everything, scared. And he turned and yelled at them. And I can't tell you what he yelled because there's a few curse words in there. But I said, well, what happened? He said, we went right back to the front. So he's saying here, sometimes, do you sometimes feel like a beaten army, like inside, you're, and you're fleeing in disorder? From what? From victory already won. I love that statement. As believers, our victory is secure. Sometimes this world can overwhelm us and just make it very difficult for us. But it doesn't have to be. We can serve our generation well if we serve the Lord where we are, just like David did. And like we can do here. Uh, may seem like a simple task, uh, but it's not. We need to do that. We need to love and serve him well. Let's pray. Father, it's been a little unusual. I've read so much, and it may not have been the best thing to do. I really got into it, and... It made me think about 130 years ago when Spurgeon was the talk of London, built a metropolitan tabernacle, the whole 10,000 people, I believe. He didn't do it because he thought he was great. He did it because it was an opportunity to share the gospel. He died 15 months after this sermon. He was a very ill man. He wasn't a well man for a number of years. And I suppose that his wife did have this read at his uh, funeral. Uh, but it would be wonderful to have it read of any of ours that we served your purpose well in our generation. Um, we are about to lose Dave Alderman to Florida to spend more time with his family. We understand that. But I can't say I'm at all pleased by it. I am very selfish. I long to have this man remain beside me serving in this church family. He's been serving in this church family. Or he's been attending. He has been attending this church, not this particular building we're standing in, but another one since he was four years old for 77 years. But life does move on. Time moves on. But I can safely say what I know of this man, he has served your purpose as well in his generation. He's always been such an inspiration to me. Uh, those of us in here Wherever we are in our relationship with you, it needs to be such that we say, Lord, help me, help me serve my generation well on your behalf, whether we're men, women, boys, or girls. We can say that if we know you and be about your business. Now, today's been difficult. So many people aren't here because of the fear of this COVID. Some are camping. The lightning is struck here or near here and might have caused some damage to some of our 
sound equipment, we may be spending some money to get that repaired. So be it. We will do what's necessary to carry on your work here. We pray for all those places throughout this world. Many, many places they're hearing the word today, and we couldn't understand a word they said. Uh, not anything, unless an interpreter was there to tell us. But we could see the joy in some faces. We could just see that and sense that. That would be so special. So as you are praised this day throughout the world, may you continue to lay upon our hearts the need to serve you well. May we all choose to do that. May we all choose to, to step out into areas of discomfort, to step out in areas of maybe a little fear. Maybe it causes us, which it should, cause us to depend upon you and not our own abilities. So we thank you for your love for us. Go with us this day to our homes and bless those who would enjoy being here but cannot be. Uh, We just commit our lives to you fully, Lord, in this day. Use us for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.